Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. What would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? And I love Luther's answer. He said, if I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. In other words, he would continue living as he always lived. A lot of times for a Christian, they say, well, if the end of the world is near, I better get serious. And you know what? Too late. You need to live seriously every day. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken in two All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Sovereign Lord, Master, help us, Lord, to begin this journey together through Daniel as we seek to live as exiles and exiles, because that's what we are. We are people in exile looking forward to another home, uh, Lord, established by you. And so, Lord, bless us on this journey. Uh, Just guide us and direct us. Change us, Father. Radically change us. Enable us to bear up under the changes in our culture. Help us to follow Daniel's example. Help us to trust in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you begin a new book study like we're doing with Daniel, it's a daunting task because... You have to give all this background. And what I usually do, you may have noticed with other book studies, is we give a lot of background on the front end, as we should, and then we fill it in along the way. We're going to do that now, but i got to tell you, undertaking Daniel is a daunting task for any pastor. So today you're going to get the introduction, and you're still going to get a sermon, so you're going to get a twofer today. Uh, And so we start Daniel. And the book of Daniel, by way of background introduction, covers the period of time from about 605 B.C. 
to about 537 BC, roughly 70 years. It's a huge book in that its impact cannot be overstated. Its contents cannot be, uh, it's just, it's a book for our time, certainly where we're living right now. But it's a book about living in the present with an eye on eternity. It's a book that has drawn a lot of fire, a lot of criticism from uh, liberal theologians. And when I use the word liberal here, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about how they view the Bible and how they they view Christ as a man. And they view the Bible as a book like any other book. And the reason it attracts their ire is because it makes very precise predictions about the future and nails every one of them. And there's just no explanation for that. So what they try to say is, oh, well, it was written after. that. There was no such thing as Daniel. He never existed. And so some guy later wrote... I'm Daniel, and I lived in this era, and I predicted all this stuff. But the problem is, is that just doesn't hold water. Because Ezekiel, he was a contemporary of Daniel. He mentions Daniel three times. So there was a Daniel. And Jesus, Jesus himself in Matthew 24, 15, refers to Daniel. And as you're going to see as we get further into the book, there's... The reason, the reason for uh, its uh, eschatological, its prophetic precision is it was inspired by a precise God who declares the end from the beginning. It has a lot of interesting supporters, certainly Jesus Christ, certainly other prophets like Jeremiah, Habakkuk, uh, Ezekiel were contemporaries of Daniel. But one interesting guy, and he was kind of a mess, it was the physicist and scientist we know as uh, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, Newtonian physics, and he was a student of God's word, and he says, if there's no Daniel, there's no Christ. If the book of Daniel didn't take place, then there is no Christ. And that would be true, because Daniel presided over the sort of the return of the Jews to uh, Israel, and if it wasn't for him... Cyrus probably wouldn't have let the uh, Jews go home. If I had to give you a summary description of uh, Daniel, I could put it this way. Kings, kids, captivity, kingdoms, Christ. It covers all those things. Daniel is, uh, it's, it's, its grand theme is about God's control and involvement over the entire universe, right down to the affairs of average everyday people, from kings, right down to the lives of four Jewish boys who were unknown and were kidnapped and taken away into captivity. It's about God's sovereign control over the universe from Judea to Babylon, from 605 BC to 2250 AD and beyond. Why do I pick 2250 AD? Because it's in the future, none of us know what's going to happen then because it hasn't happened yet. But God knows. Daniel is a book, a quick overview. It's a book about the future. It's a book about living in the present with an eye on the future, with an eye on eternity. Let me give you a quick overview of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 is the backdrop, the setup for the book where where the three Jewish young men are taken into captivity. And there's a hint at the end of Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel... 
served over 73 years. It says until the first year of Cyrus. Daniel chapter 2 is about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And for those of you who know your Bibles or have a Christian background, it's about three Jewish men, young men, who refuse to compromise their integrity and worship anything other than the one true God, even at the cost of their own lives. Daniel chapter 3 is about Nebuchadnezzar's great pride. And, you know, he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Uh, Daniel chapter 4 depicts Nebuchadnezzar's warning that Nebuchadnezzar was warned by God that I raised you up and I can knock you down. And that's where he deprives Nebuchadnezzar of his sanity and eventually restores it, which results perhaps in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, conversion. Uh, Daniel chapter 5 depicts the fall of one kingdom, Babylon, and the rise of another, the the, uh, Medo-Persian Empire, and we're introduced to Darius the Mede, who's about 62 years old, who favors Daniel. And what we see here is Daniel is going to survive three or four regime changes. We look at Daniel's durability as he lives out his faith without compromise and is able to prosper nonetheless. It's a a lesson for all of us. Speaking of integrity, Daniel chapter 6 describes Daniel being thrown into the lion den because he would not pray to any other god. He would not compromise his own integrity. Daniel chapter 7 records Daniel's disturbing vision. It disturbed him, and we see the rising and falling of kingdoms leading up to Antichrist and, of course, Christ's millennial reign. Daniel chapter 8 depicts the rise of the Antichrist, a literal person. Daniel chapter 9 depicts Daniel's uh, prayer for national, individual, and personal repentance. There's also a hint of the 70 weeks of Daniel, which is a prophetic thing that we'll get into. Daniel chapter 10 speaks to the assurance of Daniel's prayer that it would be answered. Daniel 11 is another picture of the Antichrist and his career. Daniel 12 is a discussion of the end of the world as we know it and as it exists today. If I had to give you a simple organizational outline, Daniel chapters 1 through 6 is about the prophet and his life. And Daniel 7 through 12 is about the prophet and his prophecy. Daniel was a prophet. Now on the surface, Daniel just seems to be a story of uh, dreams and four young Jewish men in their teens, boys really, and their struggles to live for God through a number of regime changes, as well as kind of a story about this Antichrist that is coming. And on the surface, Daniel is also about Israel's history and its place in redemptive history, and we see how The history of Israel is put on a pause, and then there's the time of the Gentiles, and then the history of Israel picks back up again after that. We'll talk more about that later. But Daniel is about more than prophecy. It's about more than four faithful boys facing incredible choices. It's about a faithful God and his sovereignty. Daniel is about a holy God and his sovereignty and his involvement and control over everything that happens in the universe. Disasters may occur in your life and theirs, yes, but God is in control. That is the story of Daniel. As Jesus said, not one sparrow falls from a tree apart from your Father in heaven. Five sparrows are sold for two pennies, Jesus said, but you are more valuable than they are, yet your Father in heaven never loses sight of those sparrows 
And that said, he never loses sight of you or Daniel. Daniel is also a lesson for us. There are principles and practices we can learn for Daniel and his colleagues in inch by inch living for God under the most difficult of circumstances. Hence our sermon series title, Living as Exiles, Living in Exile. What does this mean? You and I are not of this world. You and I are are aliens. You know, years ago when I was living in Riverside, a man started this bumper sticker campaign, not of this world. And you've probably seen this emblem somewhere. Well, that's true. You are not of this world. You are an alien. You are an egg you are in exile. This is not your home. America or Tanzania or Russia or Greece or wherever you're from is not your home. You're just passing through. You're just passing through. You, 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 the, the culture's practices are not your practices. You don't belong here. But God has put you here the way he put them there for such a time as this. And that's why I say you're not of this world. I was at the, the Ligonier Conference, as I mentioned earlier, and Steve Lawson was speaking. And he said something in a very blunt and powerful way that stunned me. I mean, the way he said it, and I cannot imitate Steve Lawson if you've heard him preach. But it's something that we forget sometimes because we, as Christians, don't want to offend anybody. But he preached this amazing sermon. And, and he even talked about not being of this world. And then he said, you can't live in this world and, and condone things like the transing of children in the school system or the transing of our children in the culture or LGBTQ, that agenda, or abortion on demand, and be a Christian. And he just said, so you either need to repent or be saved. Because there's no way. People say, well, you know, we're not supposed to get political. That is not political at all. There's no politics there. That's Christianity. That's basic Christian worldview. I remember hearing about a man who was at uh, a church. Uh, you remember Prop 8, right? With you know, the, the defense of marriage thing here in California. And he kept talking to his elder board about, when are you going to say something about this? And he got, and eventually he was called in. And he was told to the, by either the elder chair or somebody, you know, you can, you can talk to us about this thing, but don't mention the Bible because this is a political issue. And shortly thereafter, he left that church, and I was like, I would too. I wouldn't want to be in a church like that. You know, we are not of this world. We are not of this world. We are in exile. The time is coming, and now is, that you're going to have to make major decisions about how you're going to live in this fallen world. Because as a Christian, you are not of this world. And that's what Daniel is about, these children in the midst of a storm. Years ago, I had my children read a book called Children of the Storm. It was the autobiography of a lady named Natasha Vins. 
It's a book for your family today. It was written a long time ago. Uh, she's still alive, of course. She's almost as old as I am, I think, but uh, you know, not quite. But the summary of the book in, on Amazon reads like this, and I'm going to paraphrase. Young school-age Natasha receives pressure from her teachers to give her unquestioning allegiance to socialism and the state. The anti-Christian sentiment dogs her family's life as well. The then family faces imprisonment, humiliation, court trials, loss of jobs as part of the persecution waged by their government. As a young person, Natasha comes to resent her family's allegiance to Christ. In her teen years, Natasha begins to see doors closed to educational opportunities, to jobs, to acceptance in the community. And at some point, she must decide, she must count the cost of whether she wants to pay the price as a Christian. The Vince family found themselves living in exiles in their own country. Literally and spiritually, they were exiles in their own country. I believe that our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are going to find themselves in the same boat. And that's why we're studying Daniel. Like Children of the Storm, Daniel is a book about choices in the here and now. Daniel is a primer on living in exile as exiles, which is what Christians are, as the Bible tells us. Does the Bible really call us exiles? Am I making too much of this? No. Uh, 1 Peter 1.17, what does it say? And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence throughout your time of exile. There is no if you're in exile if you're a Christian. If you are saved, then you are in exile. And the Lord doesn't say this once. He says this over and over 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And you know what? It's not just Peter and Paul harping on this. You see this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in that great hall of faith, you know, where it talks about all these people who lived out their faith, imperfect people. Abraham, Jephthah, all these people. And in, in Hebrews eleven thirteen through 14, it says this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You're seeking a homeland, and this isn't it, right? You have a heavenly home. The writer of Hebrews points back to all the heroes of the faith and reminds us that they were living in the present with an eye on the future. Now, the ones that they're describing never saw the fulfillment of that. They were Old Testament saints, and they never saw the Christ, and they didn't have all the revelation that we have today. But like us, they were exiles. Because, you see, Once you receive Christ, you're transferred into a new kingdom. You have a new king. You have a new loyalty. 
you are an alien, a stranger, an outsider. Sometimes, sometimes, even within your own family. Sometimes a a wife will come to Christ, but the husband doesn't, or a husband will come to Christ, but the wife doesn't, or the children will come to Christ, but the parents haven't come yet. And there's this difference. It's almost like uh, dialects. They speak almost different languages. They can understand each other, but it's, sometimes it's hard to understand. And, and, the, and, the, and, and the reason is, is that we now see the world, we see our existence, our, our past, our present, and future through a different lens. We are not of this world. And so Daniel here is a book about living in the present with one eye on the here and now and one eye eternally, that is prophetically, focused. He is an example for us how to live in light of prophecy. And he's living in a physical exile. And he still has to go to the office every day. You think about that. Daniel went to work every day in a godless country serving godless kings with people looking to pick a fight with him. And his example should not be lost on us because he provides us a blueprint, a portrait on how to live in that kind of tension. How to live in the here and now, understanding the coming apocalypse is closer each day and how to do that with a joy and a purpose and an effect that makes an impact on those around him. He doesn't have to go looking for trouble. Daniel lived eschatologically. Along those lines, uh, Martin Luther lived the same way. Somebody once asked Martin Luther, what would you do if you knew the world was going to end tomorrow? And I love Luther's answer. He said, if I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. In other words, he would continue living as he always lived. A lot of times for a Christian, they say, well, if the end of the world is near, I better get serious. And you know what? Too late. You need to live seriously every day because your life is not your own. It belongs to Christ and you should spend it wisely. Daniel shows us how. Well, enough of uh, introduction for now. Uh, Let's read Daniel chapter 1, 1 through 7. Daniel chapter 1, 1 through 7. We're going to focus, we're going to come back and really focus on the first two verses. Daniel 1, 1 through 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That kind of gives you the date right there, 605 BC. The Lord, this is shocking, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. He, and he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought those vessels, brought them to the land of Shinar, Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. Talk about a national disaster for Judah. Your your king is defeated, The holy place is partially looted and the world as you knew it has ended. 
Verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, his chief official, his right-hand man, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, basically it's going to be teens. He wants the teens. He wants the young people. Why is that? Because they're moldable. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.